Get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foos. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm Dustin Foos, and with me is the man who has more stories to share than layers in the infamous Dagwood sandwich, one Mr. Jim Hill. I got mayonnaise on my shirt. Oh, hang on, I gotta get a napkin. Keep talking. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Well, Jim, uh, our first show was packed with stories from the Universal Orlando Resort, from the new hotels to the growth potential that's surrounding that physical location around the resort. But when we put those all into perspective, this week since we've recorded has been an interesting one to say the least. Now, we've had the soft opening of the Fast and the Furious Supercharged Attraction, which is in soft opening mode right now at Universal Studios Florida. And gotta say, the queue line is giving more hidden gems than a game of Candy Crush. Another thing that came out in the news was how that lawsuit, which we discussed, which was reportedly preventing Universal Parks and Resorts from developing all of the property that it owns around the Orange County Convention Center, has supposedly been resolved. Now, in theory, that finally clears the way for the Universal Orlando Resort to do some pretty serious expanding. We'll see if this actually comes together, but it could pave the way for theme park number three. So they say. Those are obviously huge stories, which is why we're definitely going to be getting around to talking about those as part of an upcoming podcast. But given that the Universal Joint is not only supposed to be covering what's going on in Central Florida, this show is also supposed to touch on what's going on with Universal Studios Hollywood. Now, this is why Jim and I are going to be heading out west with this week's show. Which is kind of weird, given that I live back east and in the woods of New Hampshire, which is practically Canada, whereas you, Dustin, actually do live in Canada. So, admittedly, we're two guys who are still dealing with ice and snow, even though it's the tail end of April, or are now going to talk about everything that's going on in sunny Southern California. And now, since we're in full disclosure mode, I think that it's only fair that I mention that it's been years since I last visited Universal Studios Hollywood. If I'm remembering correctly, it's actually been years since Jurassic Park The Ride opened. So when I was there, they were just building it, let alone where it is right now. Wow. Okay. So... That attraction opened in June of 1996, so oof, it has been a while since you've been to that theme park. But, but given that Universal Pictures is about to mount a special event to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the theatrical release of the, the original Jurassic Park, maybe next time would be a really excellent time for you to revisit this theme park. Tell me about it. From what I've heard about this event, it's coming up soon. It's going to be held May 11th and 12th, isn't it? Yeah, and supposedly Universal Studios Hollywood is is offering two admission packages to this. It's it's formally known as the Jurassic Park 25th Anniversary Celebration. One ticket, the $69 version, only gets you into the actual event, which is being held at that theme park during the evening hours, as you mentioned, the uh, May 11th and, and 12th. Whereas the other admission package, this is the one that costs $129 a person, that one allows you to enjoy the rest of Universal Studios Hollywood during the day and then transition into experiencing the Jurassic Park 25th anniversary celebration that same night. Okay, so 
with those two price points, $69 and $129, what exactly am I going to experience in this the Jurassic Anniversary uh, 25th celebration? My hope, obviously, is to get a selfie with Ian Malcolm himself, Jeff Goldblum, and possibly recreate a couple of my favorite scenes in all the, the Jurassic Park films, like the one where Ellie Sattler and John Hammond are eating ice cream because the power went out. Do you think those photo ops are available? Were you dropped as a child? Politely, I don't think that's going to happen. But but hang on, let me let me reach for the, <laughs> the press release here. And, and okay, okay, it uh, being produced in partnership with Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment. Let's see, what do you get? You get a commemorative lanyard and unlimited access to all things Jurassic. This supposedly includes the acclaimed theme park ride, which again you saw being built. Not to mention props that we used in the making of the four soon-to-be-five Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies. Uh, b- b- nothing about ice cream, nothing about... Oh, here we go. They specifically mentioned the geosphere, or excuse me, the gyrosphere, I mispronounced that. That was that round, clear plastic ball thing that you saw the kids riding around in, in Jurassic World, which again, remember, released June 2015. Based on what I've seen of the trailers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which, by the way, opens June 22nd of this year, Gyrospheric is prominently featured in one of that film's big action sequences. So I have to assume that they're going to have this prop available for some sort of a photo op for the 25th anniversary celebration. So so maybe you and Jeff Globloom can get in that together. You know what? That would be awesome. There we I'm go. just saying, talk mm-hmm. about uh, the best... PR idea in the world just put me in the same job. Uh, see, I'm even having difficulties with it. The mm-hmm. big giant ball that the T-Rex comes down and obliterates into smithereens. But that would be really cool if they would do that. Yeah, I agree. Press release mentions an interactive expo area, so you have to assume that the folks at Universal are going to allow event attendees to be hands-on with some of the props. Not promising Ellie Sadler and ice cream, but we can remain hopeful. <laughs> Press release then goes on to say, Universal Studio Hollywood, Jurassic Park 25th anniversary will feature live entertainment and themed foods. There will also be displays of the dinosaur maquettes that were used to final the look of the prehistoric creatures that were depicted in these films. Not to mention some of the more iconic costumes that were worn by characters in the film. Costumes? Interesting. Now, what I hear, and just going through the press release as well, it does mention something about a costume contest. This is true. According to the press release, guests will be invited to dress up as their favorite characters from the franchise. Just to be clear here, the people who are planning to go to this hard ticket, this press release also says, please visit universalstudioshollywood.com backslash JP25 for costume guidelines requirements, which I think is a polite way of saying you can't come dressed as a stripper raptor. (laughs) Oh, dreams come true. Now, if you do end up out there, our West Coast listeners can expect to see you at the anniversary celebration dressed up as John Hammond, right? To be honest, I was kind of leaning toward Dennis Nedry. Uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. Yeah, for our listeners right now, this is the moment where you pause the podcast and go to YouTube and realize the uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word has a one-hour loop and has been viewed over 126,000 times. You gotta wonder if they're using that to break prisoners at Guantanamo. It's amazing some of the stuff you can find over there that they've put on the one-hour loop. True. 
And since this is a Jurassic Park 25th anniversary celebration, it's being held in a theme park, I can assume that there will be limited edition merchandise? The press release says so, but then again, I was hearing that Universal Studios Hollywood already has a lot of Jurassic Park 25th anniversary merchandise available for sale, so maybe they'll have some truly limited stuff available at the event, something that says you were there on May 11th or the 12th. Now, speaking of merchandise, did I just see that they opened up some sort of animation-themed shop up on the upper lot? You're talking about the Animation Studio Store. Yes. That actually opened up back on March 1st and is basically a continuation of the Universal Plaza project, which Universal Studios Hollywood started back in 2012, out ahead of the construction of Springfield, USA and Hogsmeade Village, in an effort to clear out that tangle of streets and shops and shows that used to make up the bulk of this theme park's upper lot area. Oh man, you're completely right. I remember that place when my family and I visited back in the late 1990s. There was a a great quick service restaurant that looked exactly like that prehistoric drive-in where uh, Fred Flintstone went to get that enormous slab of ribs at the end of the Flintstones TV show. You're talking about Flintstones Barbecue. That was a quick service restaurant that used to be located right across the street from the Animals Actors stage. Now, when you say tangle, Jim, that's a very appropriate way to describe the original layout of Universal Studio Hollywood upper lot area. Even when you had a map of the place in your hand, it was just so easy to get lost in that part of the theme park. Now, The way that the area was originally laid out, it just didn't make any sense. It's almost like there was just all this clutter and congestion back and forth. That was because for the first couple of decades that Universal Studios Hollywood was in business, there really wasn't a plan for the upper lot. Well, not much of one anyway. Uh, Like Topsy, this theme park just growed. And all that changed in December of 2011 when Universal Parks and Resorts revealed that the Hollywood Park would be getting its own version of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. And the original that opened Universal's Island Adventure back in June of 2010? June 18th, to be exact. Perfect. So given the huge crowds of of people that had been pouring into Islands of Adventure for 18 months at that point, uh, they were packing the streets of that theme park daily as they made their way to Hogsmeade so that they can get some of their hot butter beer, cold butter beer, frozen butter beer, butter beer, ice cream. There was a lot of butter beer. (laughs) Universal Parks and Resorts sort of knew what to expect when the West Coast version of the Wizarding World finally opened for business in 2016. But see, the thing is there were all sorts of things that had to be done ahead of time so that Universal Studios would then be able to handle these hordes of butterbeer crazed Harry Potter fans. Those steps actually included a lot of stuff that had to be done outside of the park first. Like, for example, the E.T. parking structure, which opened in January of 2016, just four months ahead of the West Coast Wizarding World. And that is one huge parking facility. It's what, like eight stories tall and has close to 5,000 parking spots available, right? Not only that, but the E.T. parking structure is positioned in such a way, deliberately, mind you, so that that people who are using the 101 to get to the steam park can now 
come straight off the freeway. They can take an exit that's on the Universal Studios Boulevard side by Universal City. And then, thanks to the 24 ticketing boost lanes that this massive parking structure has, you can now get your car parked in record time and then be on your way to all of Enders, which is where you go after you get your butterbeer. Exactly. Now, when Universal Parks and Resorts learned a lot from these two huge parking structures that they built in Florida in the mid-1990s. Now, back when they converted from Universal Studios Florida from a standalone theme park to a fully integrated component of a multi-day destination resort, all of the lessons that they learned from that first building and then operating Universal Orlando's two parking structures, which combined have spaces for over 19,000 cars. Well, all of those ideas and all those lessons were applied to Universal Studio Hollywood when they built the ET parking structure. When we're talking about the Universal upper lot and how that tangle of structures first had to be cleared away, this is the serious work that had to be done before they could really do, even get started on the West Coast version of the Wizarding World. Absolutely. And when they went out and found all those buildings that had to be pulled down in 2012. It was just immense. Now, when they reopened in August of 2013, that sleek new Universal Plaza could then debut. And what's really cool about this new open expansive area at the the heart of the upper lot, you've got your Universal Plaza Tower serving as your centerpiece and the elegant fountains, which, by the way, light up at night and also double as a water play area for the kids. That brings a lot of kinetics to this part of the park. It wasn't just that Universal Plaza eliminated decades of clutter and congestion for the upper lot. It also created this incredibly flexible space. Take, for example, this past fall when the plaza became the space for the horrors of Blumhouse uh, maze at Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, and just a few weeks after that, that very same space was transformed into Whoville with a 60-foot-tall, wonky Christmas tree. And that's where visitors to Universal Studios now go to celebrate Grinchmas. And did you see what they did with the Universal Plaza for the Lunar New Year back in February? Wasn't that extraordinary? Oh, man, I am so sorry. I missed getting to see the Mr. Ping puppet in person. Uh, The video that's available online right now, you can head to YouTube, folks, you gotta see this, of that Kung Fu Panda character interacting with guests as they come by his noodle shop. It's hilarious. And whoever is manipulating the Mr. Ping puppet is a real puppet master. I mean, the way he performs with that character, it's as if Mr. Ping literally walked straight off of the screen and set up shop in Universal Plaza. Wait a second. Speaking of animated movies, didn't we start off here talking about Universal Studios Hollywood new animation studio store? Sorry, we kind of got off track here. Did I mention I was distracted by the mayonnaise on my shirt? (laughs) Anyway, this 6,000 square foot facility, which which replaces this theme park old Tuniversal studio store, has a wide variety of animation-related merch. You'll find items in here that feature characters from those Illumination Entertainment movies that Universal releases, like Despicable Me. Likewise, they have a Sanrio section. And what I love about this part of the animation studio store is that it has a selection of items that actually insert the Sanrio characters into classic Universal titles. They have a t-shirt that shows Hello Kitty trying to escape from the shark and Jaws, which just absolutely cracked me up. They also have another one where they plug Hello Kitty into the logo of Jurassic Park. 
Ooh, didn't see that one. I have to admit, what I love about the Jaws t-shirt is both Hello Kitty and the shark have a little red bow. Speaking of the <laughs> Sanrio portion of the Animation Studio store, there's actually inside the shop, there's this in-store confectionery. So where if you feel the need, you can purchase a Hello Kitty themed cookie or a cupcake or a piece of fudge. Aren't you able to go and meet Hello Kitty herself? Yeah, there's supposedly a corner of the shop that's been deliberately set up so where the Sanrio star can, can then go meet and greet with her fans. But to be honest, you know what genuinely impresses me about the Animation Studio store isn't what's inside the shop. It's rather the masterful job that Universal Creative has done with integrating this retail space into the rest of the plaza. Now, I do have to agree. The photos that I've seen so far of the exterior of this studio store, just absolutely amazing. And, you know, it obviously pays tribute to the the California Mission revival style of architecture, which was hugely popular back in the golden age of Hollywood. It does fit hand in hand with the rest of Universal Plaza. It is a real tribute to the team that designed this brand new store that it looks like it's always been there. And did you see the outdoor courtyard that's directly adjacent to the animation studio store? The one that pays tribute to Universal Studios' Cara Lemele? Yeah, that's the founder of the studio. And did you ever hear the poem that Ogden Nash wrote about Lamely? This was back when he was in charge of the studio. Carl was kind of infamous for finding jobs for all of his family members within the Universal organization. Like his son and his nephew were all executives of the studio. And, and his niece, Carla, reason you got to go watch Dracula again. She's in Dracula. Given that Lamely sort of turned nepotism into an art form, Ogden Nash paid tribute to him with the following two-line poem. It's a, Uncle Carl Lamely has a very large family. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Transitioning back to that animation studio store, they do have a section where you can buy merch featuring the DreamWorks characters, right? Well, you know, Universal's got to get back that $3.8 billion that they paid for DreamWorks Animation back in April of 2016 some way. Very true. It's not like the DreamWorks character haven't been a big part of the Universal Parks for a while now. You know, we look at Shrek 4D opening up at Universal Studios Florida back in June 2003. Yeah, that's the attraction that replaced... Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies, which was an opening day attraction at that theme park. And I want to say that when I visited Universal Studios Hollywood way back in the day, the movie that was playing in the Upper Lot Theater that eventually presented Trek 4D was showing a Rugrats-themed 3D movie. Oof, you got a good memory, Dustin. That would have been, what, Rugrats Magic Adventure 3D? which, if I'm remembering correctly, only ran for like a year or two at Universal Studios Hollywood. So you were lucky to see that, I think? (laughs) There's a lot of things that I look back on that trip to Universal Studios Hollywood, and I'm like, really? But we look at something like Shrek 4D, you know, it ran at Universal Studios Hollywood for 14 years. And then the upper lot theater that screened that that show for the last time back in April of uh, 2017. Now, since then, they've been converting that into a performance space within the DreamWorks Theater. Which, again, circling back to what we just said about the Animation Studio Store, how it fits in so beautifully with the rest of Universal Plaza. What the Universal Creative Team did with the old Shrek 4D Theater is pretty much what they did with the Universal Studio Store, which is they basically flattened the place, started from scratch, and created a whole new facility. Now, here's the quote from that press release that Universal Studios Hollywood was nice enough to share with us. 
The newly constructed building which houses the DreamWorks Theatre is inspired by Mission Revival architecture and harkens back to the golden age of Hollywood's Art Deco period of the 1920s. As one walks up to this theater, they'll encounter a box office ticket seller's booth, which is reminiscent of the time period. Inside this booth, you'll be able to see a three-dimensional usher who's fallen asleep on the job. Hmm. Well, once you get past this ticket booth, guests can then travel through an outdoor garden area, which serves as the DreamWorks Theater's exterior queue. Once guests get inside the plush lobby, it's a veritable celebration of all things DreamWorks. You'll have posters in there that date all the way back to this animation studio's very first release, which, by the way, was Ants, which was released to theaters back in September of 1998. This was the movie, for those of you who don't remember, that basically launched the feud between DreamWorks and Pixar. As the story goes, after Michael Eisner basically forced Jeffrey Katzenberg to resign as the head of Walt Disney Studios in the late summer of 1994, John Lasseter felt bad. He'd enjoyed working with Jeffrey on what eventually became Pixar's first feature-length film, Toy Story. I do remember reading this. Doesn't John go by Jeffrey's house or something like that to let Katzenberg know how sorry Lasseter is, that he's no longer working at Disney? And as John gets up to leave, Jeffrey says something to the effect of, do you know what you guys are doing as a follow-up to Toy Story? That's right. And John, thinking that he's still talking to a friend and a colleague, rather than somebody who's about to go out and set up an animation studios to directly compete with Disney and Pixar, says, yeah, we're working on something that kind of riffs on our, that old Aesop fable, the grasshopper and the ants. And to which Jeffrey replies, oh, that sounds like a good idea for a movie. So Katzenberg clearly thought that it was a good idea for a movie because when Steven Spielberg, Dave and Geffen, and Jeffrey Katzenberg announced that they were launching DreamWorks SKG in the fall of 1994. By the way, just in case you're wondering, the SKG at the end of DreamWorks SKG represents the initials of the last name of each of the company's founders. So Spielberg, Katzenberg, and Geffen. Now, Jeffrey reveals that he will be in charge of DreamWorks Animation Operation. What turns out to be the one of the very first features that DreamWorks Animation has in development, why, it's a CG animated comedy called Ants that's based on that old Aesop fable, The Grasshopper and the Ant. And you know who was incredibly livid when he learned about this? Mr. John Lasseter. Yeah, Eisner wasn't all that happy either, especially when he learned that Woody Allen, who Disney had been courting at the time to come voice Tantor, the elephant in Tarzan, the thinking here was that, okay, if elephants never forget, if you never forgot anything, you'd be really neurotic. And if you have a character that's really neurotic, who would be better to voice that character than Woody Allen? What ends up happening is that Eisner gets particularly ticked off because Katzenberg manages to lure Woody Allen away from Disney to come voice Z, who, for those of you who haven't seen Ants, this is the lead Ant character in that movie. Which is why Disney is now forced to find somebody new to come voice Tanter, and who they eventually wound up with was Wayne Knight, who played Newman in Seinfeld. And also played Nedry in Jurassic Park the character that you're going to be cosplaying and that we all can't wait to see photos of. Again, I could also go with John Hammond. We spared no expense. Especially with ice cream, right? Uh, That's right. <laughs> speaking That's right. of sparing no, res- no expense and segues, I'm actually going to be heading down to Central Florida later this month, uh, gathering stories for our Universal Joint show, where hopefully 
Jim and I will be able to discuss in great detail uh, Universal Studios Florida's newest attraction, Fast and Furious Supercharged. And as always, if you have any Universal-related topics that you'd like us to discuss on future shows, or if you have some stories that you'd like to share with us, don't hesitate to reach out. We've particularly enjoyed the feedback that we've gotten so far from the first show. Looking forward to hear what you have to say about this one. Absolutely, and there's so many different topics out there, so we can't wait to keep going with uh, with the Universal Joint podcast and you know plenty of ideas. So for Jim and myself, thanks for listening in. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal joint tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the jim hill media network